talking about matters of the heart. We talked about in Proverbs chapter four, where it says this, above all else. Say that with me, above all else. Say it again, above all else. Guard the heart. Why? Because everything in life flows out of that. Or it is the wellspring of life. We talked about how the unguarded heart, that it's very easy to have our heart stolen. And a stolen heart inevitably leads to a broken heart. And the end result is a hardened heart. We talked about the importance of not sacrificing your future for a moment of situational happiness. Why? Because the enemy will use your current situation. The enemy will flat out use your current situation in an attempt to steal your heart. We, we have to protect the heart. I want to I shift this morning. And I want to focus on this idea that is first introduced to us in Ezekiel. When, when Ezekiel says this, I, I will give you a new heart and, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. First Peter, it says in two different places in First Peter, in First Peter chapter two and First Peter chapter four, it tells us this, that we're to love one another deeply or we're to love one another completely. We're to love from the heart. First John tells us, it says that we're supposed to love one another. First John 4, 7 says this, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Let me give you this, let me give you this axiomatic statement and that is this. We are shaped and fashioned by how we love. Let me say that again. We are shaped and fashioned by how we love. And so this issue of, of understanding and, and, and grasping the importance of love, I believe is a significant thing. Unfortunately, we live in a time where this concept of love is, it's confused. In fact, the meaning of love has been hijacked and our demonstrations of love oftentimes are muted because we live not so much with a disposition of love, even though if you were to ask what is the overwhelming characteristic of Christ, the overwhelming characteristic of Christ would be a characteristic of love. It's interesting to me that if you ask someone, describe Christ in one word, the significant majority of the time, that one word is love. I want you to think about that for a moment. If I were to ask you to describe Christ, how would you describe him? Okay, now, you ready? If I were to ask you to describe the church, how would you describe it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? If I were to ask you to describe Christ, how would you describe him? 
If I were to ask you in one word to describe Christian, what word would you use? Here's what's more important. What would those outside of these four walls, what word would they use? Right? What we've done is this, is we've created a culture where we expect certain things, certain characteristics, certain conduct, uh, in the church world, even certain dress, certain language. And really it's, if we're to be honest, all too often it's much more about issue of performance than it is about relationship. I will say this, for the longest time, the idea of being a pastor was a pretty intimidating thing for me. The idea of standing up on a Sunday morning and communicating, wow, that's, that's a daunting proposition. Because what if my diction isn't quite right? What if I go to quote a scripture and I, I get it jumbled? And so here's what I found. I found this, that I needed to be very precise, that I needed to be very organized, that I needed to be very structured, that I needed to be very rigid. I needed to be professional, right? Because that's what people expect. And yet when I look at the life of Jesus, when I look at the character of Jesus, Jesus did some crazy things in the name of love. He really did. You think about some of the stuff that Jesus did. Jesus went and hung out at a tax collector's house in the name of love, right? Knowing that people were going to talk bad about him. Jesus traveled through some very dangerous territory in the name of love. When, when, when Jesus went through Samaria and met the woman at the well, very dangerous route. It's kind of crazy in the name of love. You know the craziest thing that Jesus did in the name of love? cross for God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us I, I believe this I believe that that God modeling this issue of crazy love to us that we need to model that demonstration of crazy love towards others I this I this crazy thought um, last year uh, last year we had the opportunity to take a team to Derry Northern Ireland and um, we were walking through this building, Brian, that you guys had, um, had really miraculously been able to obtain. Uh, an old nightclub. It's kind of cool to have a nightclub become a church. Um, but we, I had an opportunity to walk through it. Uh, Frank St. John was with me. And uh, at this point, it's a building that Cornerstone City Church owns. Um, but they, and, and then they're, they're in the process of trying to fix this thing, um, but they're still meeting in a rented space. Uh, they rent um, high schools sometimes. They, uh, sometimes they rent the local civic center uh, and that's where they do church. Uh, and I, I asked Brian, I said, so what's gonna take to get in this building? We, we talked about this. And uh, man, they had, put, they had put everything that they could into getting this building. And uh, we're slowly but surely kind of chipping away at the things that needed, to be, that needed to be done to take care of it. They got a major issue that they have to have taken care of and that is they have to, ha they have to get an elevator put in. It's about a $100,000 deal. And so um, 
you know, Brian was here last year to start our missions convention, and I wanted Brian to be here again to start our missions convention, mainly because I wanted to give him something. Brian, I'd like for you to come up here, and I think I've got somebody in the back that can help me with this. Um, I, I believe as a church that we should do some crazy things. And so I want to do something kind of crazy this morning, somewhere back here. So wander around. Here we go. Brian, I've always wanted to give somebody a really big check. And you guys need $100,000 to put in an elevator to where you can get in your building. That's a really big check. And so we just thought we would give you a really big check this morning. And so... Yeah. Let me, let me just say this. There are a lot of people that were convinced that Calvary, Calvary Assembly of God in Orlando, Florida was, was dead. Friends, we're not only not dead, we're giving out really big checks. One of the things, Brian, that we, that we really want to live here is this issue, kind of our catchphrase is love God, love people, love the world. Love God, love people, love the world. You know, there are a lot of folks that struggle in the, in the issue of giving to missions because they're concern, consumed with and really kind of somewhat filled with anxiety over, um, boy, if I do that, what if I don't have enough? And I love what Jim said. You know what? If we don't give it away, uh, we'll never have enough. But, uh, but here's what we know. We know this, that... Um, that in December, somebody wrote a really big check for this church. Um, and they wrote a really big check for this church uh, knowing um, that God wanted us to write some really big checks. And so um, I, I wanna, this morning, do we have a microphone that we can? Oh, he's got a microphone right there. Um, so first, I wanna, <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna actually give this to you, this really big check. So have you, have you ever received a larger check? No, I have not received Okay, and so um, take a moment and, and talk about what this means for Cornerstone and, and how, this, how this influences that, your, your ministry there. Yeah, this is uh, one of the few occasions in my lifetime almost stuck for words uh, as, a, as a preacher and as a pastor, but this is, uh, this is an enormous thing. Basically, well, nothing basic about it, but bottom line is this, this makes the impossible possible for us now. That, that's, that's really bottom line. And the, uh, the elevator issue is, is a real issue, and... Um, but here's the thing, uh, with, this, with this very generous gift towards uh, Cornerstone City Church, we are more than likely going to move the church in just after Easter this year. It is that close. It makes that big of a difference for us. And, and the thing about it too, it's, it, it's, it's great for, for on, a, on a bunch of levels, everyone. It's great for Cornerstone City Church. It's great to finally get into our own building, the place that we've, we've never had our own place at all. This is our first permanent home. So it's great for people who have sown into the vision of the church for years and years and years. It's great for the city of Derry, Londonderry. Isn't that right? It's great for the city. Every city deserves a flagship church. And uh, you've got that kneeled in Orlando. And so we want to have that kneeled in Derry, Londonderry. Every city deserves 
a great church. It's great for the nation of Ireland. It's great for the Assemblies of God in which we are all part of, and it's great to encourage other churches across the nation that, do you know what, keep at it, keep going, keep believing, keep trusting, and, uh, you know, God will move, God will provide, and you've got a promise in your heart, just keep believing. But it's great for Orlando, it's great for Calvary as well, that you get to be part of what God is doing across the world. You are, and we are never more like God. We are never more like the Father than when we give. And if we can sum up all of the nature and all of the attributes of who God is and describe them in one word, it's this. He's a giver. He's a giving God. And guys, this, this is great for us. It's great for Derry. It's great for Ireland. It's great for you. And uh, on behalf of the leadership team uh, of Cornerstone City Church and all the people there, can I just say a massive, massive thank you to Ed, uh, to Jody, uh, to your leadership team, and to every one of you for making the impossible possible. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. You'll have the opportunity to hear more from Brian on Wednesday, um, but I'll tell you what, what he and his team are doing um, in Derry, it, it really is amazing. And um, to, see, to see Western Europe turning back to God, I believe is a significant thing. And that we can be a part of that, I, I'm just, I'm grateful to God uh, that we can be a, a part of that. And uh, let me just say this, um, Church family, I don't expect that to be uh, the last big check that we give. Uh, in fact, I'd like to give out bigger ones. And so let's just see what God can do through us. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about this issue just for a few moments this morning. I know that our time is quickly slipping away. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning on this issue of love and, and, and living your life with genuine love, moving love from the head to the heart. You'll find here in Philippians, in Philippians chapter one, Paul gives his, his typical introductory statement. And then in verse three, he kind of, get, it kind of gets into the, the heart of the matter. And he says this, starting in, starting in uh, Philippians one, verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it today to challenge us, to change us, to mold us and make us. God, that, that our life would reflect your heart. Father, I, I pray for the skeptic that's here today. I, I pray that that, that, that skepticism, that it, would, that it would slip away as truth is revealed. I, I pray for the, the seeker. I pray this morning that they will find what they're looking for. Father, I, I pray today for the brokenhearted that they would see a heart restored and that would walk and live in your joy. God, we, we commit all these things to you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I love what, what Paul says. He says, it is right, in verse seven, he says, it is right for me to feel this way for you for I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. It's interesting that Paul would say this because his experience in Philippi was, was not that great of experience. You, you'll, you'll see it recorded in Acts chapter 16. But when Paul was in Philippi, here's just a, a little of what happened to him. First of all, he was arrested. He was wrongly accused. He was stripped, beaten, 
and thrown into prison. While he was in prison, an earthquake happened, caused people to freak out. In the end, he was asked very nicely, would you please leave our city? It was not the most pleasant of situations. It was not the most pleasant of circumstances for him. And you would think when Paul would say, man, when I remember my time in Philippi, whoo, that was a tough one. That's not what he says. He says, when I think of you, and then understand this, when he's writing this, it's 80, 62, Paul's in Rome, in prison, awaiting what he is thoroughly convinced of, and indeed was, a death sentence. And so there he is, he's in chains, in prison, and when he thinks back on his time in Philippi, which was also a prison experience, after being stripped and beaten, here's what he says. Man, when I think about you guys, I think good things. When I think about you guys, it brings a smile to my heart. And when I pray with you, I pray with joy. How is it that Paul, considering all that he had to go through, all that he faced, how could he look at it this way? It all comes down to living our life wholehearted. Living our life wholehearted. And, and I, I spoke about this a little bit last week and I, I, wanna, I wanna revisit the idea this week, this issue about living your life wholehearted. You know when you're around a wholehearted person. The wholehearted person, it's, it's that person that when they laugh and it's, it's not about the volume of the laugh, there's just something in that laugh that it, you can tell that it, it just comes from deep within them. It, it, they, they laugh from the, from the core of their being. That, that when, they, when, they, when they speak, it doesn't matter what the topic is, it, it seems to be laced with joy. And it doesn't matter what they face. It's not so much that they're an eternal optimist. It's that they have an understanding of perspective. I think that's why it says about Jesus in the scripture that Jesus went to and fro enjoying life. I think this is what he meant in John 10.10 10 when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to its full. Friend, life is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And this idea of enjoying life, living with a smile on our face, a song in our heart, a swing in our step. Oh, pastor, you, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand the burden that I'm under. You don't see the pile of bills that are at my house. You don't understand the relationship that has gone totally sideways. You don't see the pain that I'm enduring on a daily basis. I'm not at a place where I can smile. I'm not at a place where I can experience joy. I'm And for every one of us, if we wanted to, we could make that list. And in Paul, where he's at here in Philippians chapter one, Paul can make that list, but there's, there's something that's happened in him that causes him to see life in a different light. And you know what it is? It's that Paul understands Proverbs four, above all else, Guard the heart, 
For out of it, all of life flows, or it is the wellspring of life. And when, when Solomon wrote there to guard the heart, it wasn't about preserving the heart. It wasn't about protecting the heart. It was making sure that the heart functions for its original intent. Let me say that again. It's not about preserving the heart. It's not about protecting the heart. In fact, that's a hardened heart. But it's about the heart functioning in its original intent. And, and look, at, look at what he does. Four things real quickly. Number one, look at Philippians 1.3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Here's what he chooses to do. He chooses to focus on the good in people and to be grateful for the good in people. He says, I'm going to focus on what's best and, and I'm going I'm to forget about the rest. Right? I thank God every time I remember you. Paul could have certainly dwelt on the negative. He could remember the painful memories. He, he chose not to remember the painful. He chose to focus on the things he could be grateful for. And, and, and for us, so many of us, we have in our past, we, we have pain. Maybe for you, it's, it's the pain of a, of a parent. Maybe for you, you and I have a, a, a something in common in that we bear the physical scars of the abuse that we received in our childhood years. Maybe for you, it, it wasn't a parent. Maybe for you, it was a, it was a partner, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife. Maybe for you, it was somebody that you had engaged in business with that took advantage of that. And, and, and the scars are there and the scars are deep. Maybe they're physical scars, maybe they're emotional scars. But friend, you make the choice of whether or not you are defined by your difficulties. Let me say that again. You make the choice of whether or not you are defined by your difficulties. All of us could talk about the pains that we've endured, the wrongs that have been done to us. And if you're here today and you have pain and you have scars, I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, the person sitting on your left, the person on your right, they also have scars. They also carry pain. It's part of the human condition. And yet, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's what Paul wrote in Romans. Right? He continues to talk about that. And then down at the end of that portion of scripture, he says, no, no, no. In all these things, in all these things, in all what things? See, what's interesting is this, is oftentimes when we look at that scripture, we'll just kind of read through it. And when we don't stop to really think about what he's saying. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What? In trouble. You're more than a conqueror in trouble. In hardship. You're more than a conqueror in hardship. In persecution. You're more than a conqueror in persecution. In danger. You're more than a conqueror in that. Death, life, the present, the future, you're more than a conqueror in that. Why? Because the God of all creation is with you. And the presence of an almighty God makes the difference in our life. And, and Paul understood that. And, and listen, because it makes the difference in us, it should make the difference in the way that we look at others. Let me say this. 
love looks through a telescope. Jealousy looks through a microscope. And and let let me go from preaching to meddling for a moment. I think this is the fundamental flaw with Christianity. I think it's the fundamental flaw with the church. And I think it stems all the way back to even a misunderstanding of creation and original sin. And that whole issue of when God had man in the garden and said there are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for if you do, certainly you you, you will surely die. And mankind duped by the enemy chose to eat from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And quite honestly, we've been living under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ever since. Even in the church, we tend to judge things on this scale, right? And we know this, if you've been in church, we know this. And if if we hear people say to us, those who don't know Christ, we hear them say sometimes, well, you know what, I know this. I know that if I look at my good things and look at my bad things, when I stand before the man upstairs and uh, he looks at my good and he looks at my bad, I've done more good than bad, so I think he's gonna let me in. And we go, no, 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 it doesn't work that way, my friend, right? Here's what you need to do. You need to to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you need to come hang out with me at church. And and when you come and you hang out with church, just to where you know, we're gonna judge you on a scale, good and bad. Okay, so we understand that that's not the way God works, but just where you know, you might want to be aware that's the way that we work. Come on now, am I preaching truth? You know it. And so what happens is this, we we create this culture where you have to dress the right way, you have to talk the right way, you have to act the right way, your hair has to be cut a certain style. You have to be able to speak with a certain mannerisms. And if you do that, then you fit in. Heaven forbid that you have an issue. Heaven forbid that that when you go home that you turn on the computer and you look at sites that you know you shouldn't look at. Heaven forbid that, that you're struggling because you started with a, a simple recreational drug and, and now, now you're having a hard time with that that voice that regularly calls you. Or, or, or worse yet, heaven forbid that you're, that you're having a hard time reconciling life as it relates to scripture. And, and so you're struggling somewhat in your, in your trusting of God. Because here's been my experience. My experience in the church has been that people tend to look at me more through a microscope than they do through the telescope. And they're looking for that one thing that they can pick on, that one thing that they can criticize. Rather than searching for the good. That was never God's way, never God's plan. And Paul, Paul demonstrates that for us. Now here's what I believe. I believe this, that I can't change others, but I can change me. And so one of my prayers for me, one of my prayers for Ed Garvin is this, God help me to focus on what's best and forget the rest. God help me to consistently see the good in people. And to truly live out what 1 Corinthians 13 says when it says that love keeps no record 
of wrongs. That's good. Because you know what? You're going to let me down. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to do something stupid. Perfection is reserved for God alone. It has been less than two hours since I broke a law. Was anybody else on I-4 this morning? And so my imperfection is that it's, it's glaringly in front of me. And you know what? Yours is too. And so here's what I can do. I can point out all the perfections about you, tell them to you or tell them to somebody else in the form of a prayer request. Or what I can do is this, is I can say this, I thank God every time I remember you. Isn't that a better way to look at things? I mean, doesn't that, when, even, when you, even when you think about the scripture, doesn't it make you go, and, and, and why is it? Why is it that he's able to do that? Okay, well, if you continue on, he says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I, I, that's powerful to me. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. What, what he's saying this, he's saying this, I practice positive praying. When I pray, I pray positively. I want to give you two scenarios. Ready? Dear Jesus, Lord, I'm praying for Bob Alfred today because you know how messed up he is. God, you know the issues he's got and, and you know how hard-hearted and stubborn he is and how tough it can be to be around him sometimes, God, and his horrible sense of humor. God, I'm, I'm just praying that you do something, that you change Bob, because Lord, he needs changing. Do, do you feel the love in that prayer? D did you feel any love at all in that prayer, Bob? At the end of this portion of, of, of Philippians 1, so Paul says this, Paul says, he says, when I pray for you, I always pray with joy. He demonstrates it, by the way. If, if, if you go down to, to verse number nine, he says this, and this is my prayer, and this is what he prays over them, that your love may abound more and more, that it may abound in knowledge and depth of insight uh, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. He, he prays these four things. He prays that they will grow in love, Right? I pray that your, that, that, that your love may abound more and more. He prays that they will understand wise choices, that they'll be able to discern what is best. He prays that they will act on those, uh, on those wise choices and do the right thing. He says, I pray that you will be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. And, and then he prays that they will live for God's glory. I pray that you will, you will be able to discern what is best, be pure, pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's something powerful that happens when even in my prayer time that I focus from a healthy perspective, from a godly perspective. And this isn't just true in, in Philippians. If, if you read through Paul's prayers when, when, par, when Paul prays for people, I pray that the eyes of your heart may, in, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Over and over again, you, you could look at the prayers of Paul and what he does is this, is he prays these affirming, he prays these powerful prayers over people. Listen, God is comfortable with your complaining. He is. And it's okay to go to God and go, God, life is not working for me right now. But there's something that happens when we say this. God, before I focus on anything else, here's what I want to do. I want to make sure that my relationship with you is right. I want to focus on you. And, and in so doing, I want the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be evidence in everything that I do. And I believe this. I believe when we're not doing the performance stand up in church, right, and pray the King James Version prayer, but when we step away from that and we're, we, we look at genuinely how we pray, if you want to know the condition of your heart, Take a moment and listen to how you're praying. If you want to know how you genuinely feel about others, are you praying blessing over them or are you praying judgment over them? Are you praying value over them or are you telling God how bad, how horrible they are? And it, it it will, it will radically shift the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view others. And understand this, prayer fuels love. Prayer fuels love. Prayer fuels love. It's pretty hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. Especially if you're praying positively over them, right? God, I want you to bless them. God, I want you to let them grow in grace and knowledge. God, I, 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 I speak abundance over them. It's pretty hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. And, and this is what Paul says, okay? So he prays there in, in verse four, verse five. And then he says this in verse six, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. You know what I love about that? Is he says, I know you're not perfect. And I'm totally good with that. It's, it's that issue of accepting one another. Accepting one another. There's a term that I use regularly when I'm talking with people that are in stressful situations and when I'm dealing with, uh, even when I'm dealing with staff and, and, and sometimes interpersonal issues and things like that. Here's what I'll say. Take a moment and breathe. Just, just breathe. Just breathe through it. It's, it's gonna be Okay. Oftentimes, the issues aren't as big as what we make them out to be. And people are people. God's not done with you yet. I understand your life is messed up right now, okay? You're an unfinished product. Just wait, be patient. By the way, I understand your boss is a jerk. I understand your spouse is an idiot. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay? But God's not done with them yet. Okay? And huh? love hopes all things, believes all things. Here's a tough one. You ready? First Corinthians 13. It endures all things. 
right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-seeking. We've got to give time for growth. Because a critical heart is a closed heart. Let me say that again. A critical heart is a closed heart. Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can let go of the wrongs that have been done to me. I, I don't know if I can pray positively over people and accept them as who they are because of all that I've been through. I, I hear that. Here's what's interesting to me that Paul says. He says, God can testify. This is verse 8 of Philippians 1. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, true love requires God's love. And I think this is the crux of the problem. I think the crux of the problem, and I think the reason why we don't deal well with this issue of love, acceptance, and forgiveness is because we have a distorted view, a distorted understanding of God's love. We see him as benevolent, but we also see him as a, a being with a lot of rules. We see him as gracious. But ultimately, we're going to have to give an answer. We see him as kind. But he sets a pretty high standard. And, and, and the reason for that, the reason for that misperception well, quite honestly, it does, it falls on us. It goes back to that whole knowledge of good and evil thing. And because we don't fully understand God's love and because we don't fully understand God's grace, and, and because we don't fully understand it, we don't rightly apportion it to our lives, it makes it impossible for us to demonstrate that to others. And instead, we say that we're operating in the Christian way in love, when in fact we're operating the Christian way and, and operating more in, in critique and judgment than what we care to admit. So much so that even those of us that have been in church for a long time, when we reach this point in the service and we know that potentially the pastor is going to call people forward to pray, to let God deal with the incomplete areas of their life, we go, oh, I can't do that. I can't go forward. Because I know what these people will think of me. I think it's time for a change in the church. In fact, I know this. I know that our community is full of people that unfortunately, they, 
they're casualties of this misunderstanding that we have about love. And at one point in their life, they came to church endeavoring to find hope and searching for identity and being told that they would experience love. And yet their reality was something very different. And now here's what they'll say. They'll say this, I don't have a problem with God, but man, who? I've got a problem with the church. It's a healthy assessment. I think it's a right assessment. But Paul shows us a very different posture, doesn't he? When I think of you, it touches my heart. And when I pray for you, I pray with joy. I love watching how God's continuing to grow and develop you. And the love that I have for you, it's the affection of Christ Jesus. To love with the love of God. How does that work? Well, here's how it works. Jesus said this. He said the great commandment is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to think about something. If I'm loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, if I'm loving God with everything that is in my being, how then am I supposed to love you? In the natural, it doesn't make sense. Why? Because all my love is going to God. It is impossible It is impossible for me to love you the way that you're supposed to be loved if my relationship with God is not right and all my love is not flowing to him, okay? It is impossible for me to have a genuine relationship with God and love God and not love you with the love that God flows through me towards you. It is impossible. So I cannot say that I love God if I do not love my neighbor. And I cannot properly love my neighbor if my relationship with God is not right. And again, for most of us, our relationship with God is not right, not because there's something wrong with God, but it's because we have been given an incorrect perception of who God is. And part of that is because of a a misdirection of the grace theology that turns into this incredible get out of jail free card so you can do whatever you want. So we find ourselves back with this scale. And I don't know how it works for you, but let me tell you how it works for Ed Garvin. Anytime in my life it it reverts to the scale, oh man, I don't like the picture. I really don't. I, I, I don't like how much stuff in my life can go on the negative side versus how much stuff in my life can go on the positive side. I, I don't like that picture. And I love the fact that, that God says this. He says, Ed, you don't have to look at that picture because I never look at that picture. 
Yeah. I love that. And so, I can find this comfort in Philippians 1.6 that he who has begun a good work in me. I'm not, I'm not who I was. I'm not who God ultimately has for me to be. But I am this work in progress. So having a healthy understanding of God's love, it helps me to see myself realistically for who I am. And in that, when I do something that's stupid or just flat out wrong, I don't just pass out everlasting get out of jail free cards. I know that that's an area of my life that needs to be sanded off. But I also know this. That God prays for the best and forgets the rest. Because that's what love is.